If I haven't met you before, my name's James. It's great to have you with us. We started a new series, a little mini two-parter is what I'd call it, in looking at the life of Elisha. And if you were at the All In last week, which was glorious, glorious mayhem is probably the... uh, I remember looking at the end, the hot dog line. That was quite something. But uh, so... That was part one, this is part two, and it's called Elisha, a life, by faith, Elisha, a life of obedience and authority. I just have to give you a heads up. If I really struggle with Elisha and Elijah and Elijah and Elisha, just forgive me. If I get the wrong name, it's really unhelpful that their names are so alike. I sometimes think that with parents whose children, their names are a little bit close together. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and then they don't know. Sometimes I just shout, oi! because I can't remember their names. But anyway, over the last couple of years in the By Faith series, we've looked at Gideon, we've looked at Esther, and so this is Elisha. Now, the By Faith series start, we we come out of the Hebrews passage, Hebrews 11, which is the most beautiful passage. It says this, Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then in verse 6, it goes through to say, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's a pretty strong line, isn't it? You know, you're like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I think I could speak on behalf of us as a community that we long to please the Lord. Like, actually, when we stop and we think about it, the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. It's like we are to enjoy the Lord. We are to please the Lord. And that's the posture of what we're leaning into. Now, health warning, reading Elisha is deeply challenging. <laughs> and, and it does focus. It forces us to focus on miracles and the power of God. That's what you get as you look at the life of Elisha. But before I talk about this, though, I want to say that if you've been here over the last month, you will know that as a community, there has been a lot of loss and grief. And particularly in in our north side, it has been a really, really difficult season. And I was speaking to another church leader in the city. I have the joy of being part of kind of a church leaders network whereby we get the opportunity to, you know, share with one another. And just to say, I want you to know that the the other church leaders in our city are awesome. And do you know what I mean? I, I love that I get to spend time with them and cheer one another on that we're on the same team ultimately aren't we we're, we we want to see this city come to know Jesus and they've been really beautifully supportive during this time and this guy who's been maybe a church leader for the last 35 years um talked to you know was just giving me some advice because uh, you know this has been a, a tough time to walk through and they'd had in their own community a young leader pass away because of cancer and you know just desperately difficult things and and he he just said as a result of this it's easy to back off pushing into God's power and provision do you know what I mean in times of grief we want to stop don't we and we want to grieve deeply we want to mourn with those who mourn so on the one hand we're called to carry that at the same time we are called to push into all that God has and so you've got the there's this tension in these two things and so I'm I'm realizing as I'm speaking about Elisha and I'm speaking about miracles, at the same time, I'm just aware of the season that we've been in as a church. So I just wanted to put that into the room. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're, we're in a tension of these two things. And I come back to the words of the Lord's Prayer, which I think are so deeply helpful. Our Father in heaven, 
Blessed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are still going out lights. Lord, your kingdom's got to come. That's our prayer. So that as by way of background to what I'm talking about, I'm saying, God, your kingdom's got to come. In the midst of the tension, in the midst of loss, in the midst of grief, you are still the Lord. And we still go after the things of God. And so I just wanted to put that into the room because I... I'm actually talking about something called kingdom audacity today. I mentioned it in the all-in gathering, and somebody came up to me at the end of it, and they were like, what was that little phrase you used? It's like, what, kingdom audacity? So I love it. And I thought, well, that's enough encouragement from me to actually do a whole talk about it. Like, um, it doesn't take a lot of encouragement. You, you know, it's like, I'm going to grasp that, and I'm going to, yeah, brilliant. You liked it, fab. Nobody else did. But um, <laughs> So I opened last week by talking about the calling of Elisha and how God spoke to Elijah and said, I want you to go and anoint three people. He was really clear. Go and anoint two kings and go and anoint the prophet who's going to follow after you. And that's Elisha. And Elijah did just that. And he found Elisha and he threw this mantle over him. And a mantle was really like a prophetic calling. It was like a cloak, if you imagine a cloak. And he threw it over Elisha to say, your old life's done. <laughs> You're now going to become a prophet after me. And so that was his calling moment. Elisha went back and he said goodbye to his family. He killed the ox, he slaughtered the oxen, and he burned the plows. Now, that's a radical step, isn't it? That both symbolically and practically stated there is no returning or going back. By doing that, he's like, we're, you know, we're not going back to Egypt. We're not going back this way. I am moving into a new life. And I, and I gave the challenge in the all in that I was just saying, actually, this is part of the journey of calling for many of us as well. There will be moments on the journey of calling where Jesus is asking us to step into a new chapter of our life, a new season of our life. And he's like, burn the plows. You've got to get rid of it. It's like you've got to set that boat on fire because otherwise it will hold you and you can't step into what the Lord's got for you. Um, so Elisha walked off with Elijah into his new calling. And I think that it was God's kindness to Elijah. If you remember, Elijah has just fought the prophets of Baal. He had a kingdom showdown. He's got Jezebel, who is Ahab's wife, who's just hunting him. And there's this moment in 1 Kings 19 at the beginning where he lies down under a bush and he's like, Lord, I'm done. Like, I'm probably depressed, burnt out, overwhelmed. And he's like, Lord, Take me. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, and he's in his lowest moment. And then the Lord sends an angel and there's this beautiful and the Lord sends his um, presence. And it wasn't in the earthquake or the wind or the fire. It was in the still small voice. And then there's this next moment where God gives Elijah a companion. That is not to be underestimated in the provision of the Lord. For the next 18 years, Elijah would work together with Elisha. And I think that's true in our own lives sometimes as well. Sometimes we need, we th sometimes talk about provision of money and we talk about provision of different things. I think sometimes the Lord just provides a person. That's what it's been in my life. It's often the provision of somebody to walk with you through a season of life. They're encouraging, they're praying with you, they're standing with you, they're fighting for you. That can be the greatest thing that we're given by the Lord. And I think this is the Lord's kindness to Elijah in this moment of Elisha. So coming back to this idea of kingdom audacity, Elisha's life models this to it. And if I'm honest, I long for more of this in my life and our church's life. Last week, I, one of the other things that I do is I get to spend time with church planters across um, 
the nation. Uh, part of my role for the vineyard is to raise up and train church planters. And it was a Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on Zoom. I had low expectations. Do you know what I mean? You know when you're just like, I want to be anywhere else right now. Before the call. And what happened is, is I, the five different, they're not all couples, you know, singles and couples, um, five different churches being planted this year. And I heard the story of their calling. Oh, my goodness. The, like the fingerprints of God reaching the point where they're like, yes, I've got to step into this. And it was really interesting listen, listening to them because sometimes when the Lord calls you in that first minute, minute, you're like, Jesus has spoken. This is incredible. And then two months later comes the fear. That's exactly what Chris and Steph are in right now. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's fair enough. Uh, like, <laughs> there's the moment of obedience, which is the yes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm all in. And then there's a month later, you're like, what have I said yes to? And I want to run away. And so I had the joy of just seeing like tears and stories of God's faithfulness on that call. I came out, I was like, I want to go again. Jen said no. Uh, she said no for 15 years, and she said she's going to say no for the rest of our life. We're here forever, so don't worry. But um, I was like, that sounds amazing, pioneering. Anyway, uh, so that's one story. And then just as inspiring is the story of one girl in our evening service community who had a dream about preaching in a workplace, like you do, uh, had a dream. And she had this moment when she was at work where she was like, this is the moment. This is the moment to step in. So she preached. This wasn't the Evangelical Alliance, just to be clear. This wasn't a Christian church. Like, this was just the workplace. She preached. People gave their life to the Lord. And she got a disciplinary. <laughs> isn't that audacity? Isn't that king? That is a picture of kingdom audacity right there. Because it's like, the Lord has spoken. I know that he's spoken. And it's a bit like that moment in Acts 4 with Peter and John after um, they've been thrown in prison. And it's like, hey, we're just going to back down. We're going to shut up. And they're like, no, God, do more. Do more. And so it's interesting pastorally walking through that. You know, it's like, that's amazing. Do we not need a little bit more of that sometimes? The Lord has spoken. I'm going to step in. There are going to be. So these are examples of kingdom audacity and... Just as Elijah was leaving this earth following years of service, Elisha prevailed upon his relationship with Elijah with an ambitious request. He said, give me a double portion of your spirit. I love that. He's, he spent 18 years following Elijah. He's like, I love what God's done in your life, but double it. He's like, double it, Lord. Like, I'm not, I'm, that is so audacious because Elijah was one of the major Figures in the Old Testament, isn't he? It's like, wow, this was a prophet doing the stuff. And Elisha is like, no, I want to see more than that. And I think there's a danger in our, I don't know what the word is, in who we are to just settle for not enough. To be like, oh, do you know what? I've made it through another wake. Well done me. And on the one hand, sometimes there is periods of survival. But I just wanted to raise your faith today and say, like, I want us to be a people who are asking the Lord for the double portion. It's, Lord, Lord, I don't want to just do the mundane. Lord, what is it that you're calling? Let us step into this together. So a little bit more about Elisha's ministry, because you might not realize that a lot of the miracles that Elisha does are a foreshadowing of Jesus. So let me give you an example. Elisha, the feeding of the hundred 
and the multiplication of bread. Have you heard of that before? You're suddenly like, oh, hang on, I've heard the multiplication, Jesus, the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. Bang. Parallel. Elisha, the miracle of the oil being multiplied, which we're going to look at today. Jesus, the turning of water into wine at Canaan. Elisha, the resurrection of the Shunammite's son. Jesus, the resurrection of Lazarus. So what you're seeing in Elisha is a foretaste of what we're going to see in Jesus. And um, so for me, audiences with kings to meeting the practical needs of a widow, we find Elisha just a human compassionate dimension that it seemed Elijah often lacked. You know, there is a compassion in Elisha that we say. And so today I want to jump into 2 Kings 4 verses 1 to 7, known as the widow's oil. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them. If not, it will just come up on the screens. So it says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left, and then the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So we pick up the story. Elisha's now the senior prophet. (laughs) Elijah's gone. Elisha is the dude. And when one of his fellow prophets dies, the prophet's widow comes straight to Elisha and starts pouring out her troubles. She is in deep, deep trouble. That's what we pick up from this story. As a result of her husband passing away, her income or her livelihood, as it would have been in those days, would have probably been very dependent on her husband. So basically, the money's dried up financially she's in debt and she is in deep trouble and not you also have to combine this with grief as well her husband's passed away so you this is a this is a very very vulnerable woman coming to Elisha and what makes it worse in in that time it would have been if you couldn't pay your debts then actually one of the things that would happen is somebody would either sell themselves into slavery or in this instance they were talking about they were going to take her children, her sons, to pay the debt. That was how the debt would be paid. So, I mean, that's pretty awful, isn't it? And so she's in a desperate place, fearful, grieving, and need of God doing a miracle. So where does a miracle begin? Well, I believe that a miracle, a miracle begins with an awareness of need. So that's the starting point. If I want God to work in my life, I've got to admit it. Now, God, I need your help. God, I'm desperate for you to break him. And for many of this, it is surprisingly difficult. We don't like to admit our problems. So what we do is we kind of stuff them down over here. We worry about them. But we actually don't always bring them to the Lord. We often prefer to hide our problems, cover up our problems, blame other people for our problems, and pretend our problems don't exist. That is often the way. God doesn't Often, God is always working. Let's just put that as a, God is always working. That is true. But God doesn't often work in our lives until we ask him to. There is an invitation from the Lord. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Lord, would you come in and would you shift this? Would you break that? That's prayer. 
He says, ask and it will be given. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we're commanded to ask. In James 4 verse 2, it says, you don't have because you don't ask. So we come to Jesus and say, I've got a major need in my life. And in this tragic situation, it seems like the great prophet would miraculously meet her need or at least offer some encouraging words. So how do you think that Elisha responds to this widow? And we can think of various different options of the way that it could have happened. Would God get rid of the creditor? Do you know what I mean? It's like, Lord, we've got this person coming. Lord, do something. Would Elisha advise the woman to ask the creditor to be reasonable? That would be another option. Would Elisha get people to fast and pray that this creditor wouldn't be so cruel? Would Elisha take up an offering to pay this woman's financial obligation? They're all possible options. And it might really surprise us when you stop and think about how Elisha actually deals with this situation. Instead, he asks her a couple of questions. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She answers him, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, the widow is about to find out that all God needs is for her to bring the little that she has. Initially, all this woman could focus on was what she didn't have. Elisha, on the other hand, was interested in the exception, except a little olive oil. That's all that I have. It was the one thing that she did have that released the miracle. And I think there's a really important kingdom principle in here. Some of you might know this song. Uh, Dave Miller is a kind of worship leader in the, in the vineyard. And he's got this beautiful song called Be Exalted. And he says this, would you take the little in my hands and use it for your glory? It's not much, but everything I have, I use it for your glory. And I think the first day we bring the little that we have. We often excuse ourselves from God's greater purposes because we believe we don't have enough for God to work with us. So God doesn't ask us to use what we don't have. He asks us to use what he's given us. Now, all of us in this room could write an incredibly long list of why the Lord can't use us. And many of you have done that many times. Do you know what I mean? It's like, let me just write the list of, I haven't got it all together. And I, I love it when people come to me and they say, I haven't got it all together. And I'm like, hey, look at me. Um, that's meant to make you feel better. Um, I'm really shy. What if I get it wrong? I tried it once before. Like All of these excuses, one after another, it's like, the Lord can't use me. God would say, with a much more compelling list on the other side, we would write our list and the Lord would say why he wants to and absolutely can use us. That's what happens when we come into the presence of the Lord. We're like, I can't do this because duh, 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 duh. come into the presence of the Lord and the Lord's like, I can use you. <laughs> just bring what you've got. And we're like, I don't have much. And he's like, I didn't ask you to have a lot. I just asked you to bring it, whatever you've got in your hands. Um, now, one of the enemy's most effective strategies is to get you to focus on what you don't have. What you used to have or what someone else has that you wish that you had. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It's a bit, it's like it's distraction technique. And he does this to keep you from looking in your house and asking, God, what can you do through what I have? And the secret is you don't need much. A God who created something out of nothing can certainly create something greater out of a little. Unfortunately, many of us operate out of a if-then mindset. If I had, then I would. If I had, then I would. If my children were in a different stage of life, then I would. Like, I hear that 
I've used that. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's like, for people who have kids, it's like, if my children were in a different stage of life, if I had more than I would be generous, if God was even more clear than I would step out in faith, can you see, if that, think of the limitations as lo- fish and loaves that Jesus is eager to bless and he can only bless what you bring. So bring it. And since he can multiply it to the highest power he desires, it really doesn't matter what you start with as long as it's not zero. So question back into the room, what has the Lord already placed into your hands? Some of you are like, nothing. I don't think that's true. There are so many different things that the Lord puts into our hands. Sometimes it's relationally you're rich. Do you know what I mean? Relationally, you've got a very strong network around you. Financially, the Lord could have given you. We all have something to bring to the Father. And what he loves to do is, is we bring, and that's the picture of the loaves and the fishes, isn't it? It's like, I've, but I've got nothing. The child brings the loaves and the fishes and the Lord does the miracle. He does the multiplication. We are not responsible for the multiplication. And the way that I see it in the kingdom is that we are called to be seed throwers. Like that's all he asks us to do. He's like, throw out the seed, throw out the seed. And do you know what? Sometimes for 20 years, we don't see what that seed does. And then somebody comes and has a conversation with us 20 years later. And they go, you said this 20 years ago. Or you prayed for me here. Or you did this. You're like, did I? This happened because you did this. And it's like, wow. We don't see. We often don't see what happens with the seed when we throw it out. But actually, if we throw enough seed over the course of a lifetime, you begin to say, and there's nothing more beautiful in the kingdom than seeing somebody else receive a blessing because you've thrown something out. Or that you're there in the time of distress for somebody. That you stand in the gap for somebody. So that's the first thing is just bring what you've got. It might not feel much, but it's enough. Secondly, faithful expectation. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. That's what she's asked to do. Don't ask just for a few. So it says, verse 3, 4, go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. And that's what the widow does. She collects empty jars. She goes home and she closes the door. The result is that God himself steps in as she obeys the prophet. Now, do not the rest of you read that story and go, I think I would have questioned Elisha at this point. So bring your little bit of oil, and then can you go and ask all of your neighbors for a whole load of jars? Hang on, Elisha. Can we just talk this through for a moment? That's a stupid thing to do. But she didn't complain or question. She respected the wisdom of the prophet, although it made no sense at the time. Do you not think sometimes that's like the kingdom life when the Lord asks you to step? Because, again, we don't have 30 years sight of what something's going to do. Sometimes the Lord's just like, step. Like, but really? He's like, yeah. I've made it clear. You need to step. And that's the life of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. And so there's this cycle. Um, Our greatest limitation is God's greatest opportunity. And God's shown this to be true time and time again throughout the pages of Scripture. When calling Moses, God simply asked him, Exodus 4 verse 2, what is this in your hand? What is this in your hand? And it was just a staff, a common tool used by a common worker for a common purpose. It was just a staff. But God used it for something greater. 
He used that staff for many things, turning the Nile into blood, parting the Red Sea. When feeding the 5,000, Jesus simply asked them, what do you have? That's all you need to bring. Don't bring what you don't have. What do you have? Five loaves and two fish, more than enough. God uses people, finances, even little jars for his glory. And then finally, there's just this encouragement to just start pouring. That's what she does. Verse 5, she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons and they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left and then the oil stopped flowing. At the very moment, the miraculous flow of oil ceases. And when she reports to Elisha what happened, he tells her to sell the extra oil to pay her debts and live with her sons on what is left. Again, we see that in the principle of the the loaves and the fishes. Not only did they have enough to feed the people, but in um, one of the accounts it talks about, and they they gathered a a whole load of baskets of the food afterwards, didn't they? It's, It's the same here. It's like, here is the money to pay the debt, but actually here's money to keep on living. That's what we see, the, the, the more than enough. There is always enough. If you want, this isn't in the talk, but this is for free. Um, I don't know if you've any, ever read any of Heidi Baker's books. And there's a book called There Is Always Enough. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes, sometimes I go back into reading testimonies of the Lord's power and goodness. When I want to raise my faith for some of the things that the Lord's asking me to step into, I go back to the places. And, the, and I would say, Heidi Baker, there is always enough. It's that kind of thing. You see the stories of God, God's provision. And it's good. I'm in the middle of um, Smith Wigglesworth at the moment. That's a slightly weightier term. Very challenging. But, but sometimes we need to posture ourselves to be like, Lord, what is it to raise my faith? And I just encourage you to read the testimonies, even the stories. Why did I share the stories of what God's doing? I share the stories because in the stories, it makes us go, ah, oh, God, that's what you're doing. So he hadn't just met her need, he'd exceeded it. Instead of always praying, God, bless me with more, dare to pray, God, use what I have. Can you see that? So sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, again, if I had this, it's like, sometimes I think we have to do a kingdom inventory of our lives and just be like, Lord, you have given me what you've given me. The posture of my heart is I want you to use the little that I have. And we never feel like we've got much. And the Lord's like, I will use your little offering, the widow's might. That was the picture, wasn't it, of the widow just bringing the last bit of her finance. She's like, this is all that I've got. And the Lord's like, I love that. I love that she brought that. That's the principle of the kingdom. He doesn't ask us for great. In some sense, he doesn't ask us for great things. He just asks us for the obedience of the little things. It's like, be faithful with the little things and then I will give you more because there is a faithfulness principle in the kingdom. In the Bible, over and over again, God doesn't just do something from heaven apart from the hands of men and women. A number of years ago, I spoke about Joshua and the moment, I think it's Joshua 3, where the priests are called to step into the River Jordan. Now, the interesting thing is, the river doesn't stop until they step. Now, the other thing about that time is that it even talks about in that chapter that the river was overflowing. It was in flood. So this wasn't kind of one of those moments, oh, you're really brave to step into the trickle. This was a river in flood, and the Lord's like, step, bang. 
Think of Jericho. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, the Lord could have knocked down the walls. What did they ask to do? They were asked to go around the walls seven times. You can pick time after time where the Lord just says, you're called to step. You're called to move. The boy with the loaves and the fishes. So just in finishing, a miracle starts with an awareness of need. It's like, Lord, I want to see you break in. And don't just think your own life. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Lord, what are the prayers that we're asking for other people? Do you know what I mean? It's like, Lord, where would you... I'm asking for miracles in other people's lives. Bring the little that you have. There's this faithful expectation of she didn't ask what he was going to do with the jars. And then we just start pouring and we wait for the Lord. So I just think there's some kingdom principles in here as we step into kingdom audacity. It's not easy, but it just starts with small steps of obedience. And I think that's what we see in the life of Elisha. So why don't we stand and I'm going to pray.